story, you're like, why does he fool with us? Someone that high and that powerful. We talked last week about how in creation, there was nothing there. Nothing. What does nothing look like? I mean, we talked about that, and it's still just, it's unfathomable. Unfathomable. It's just, he speaks a word, and as he's speaking, the sound particles are being, in, like, created, and, and so you can even hear the sound and all this stuff. It's just so, he's so high and above us. He's so other than us. But yet he, he puts his attention towards us. If there's ever a study you want to do, study God. Study the character of God in the Old Testament. I don't want you during this season to miss Christmas for Christmas. You know, we hear it all the time. Don't miss the words of the Christmas songs because of the Christmas songs. Listen to those, the words that we sing. Think about the reason Jesus came. We're going to get into that more next week. But this whole, the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to paint a picture of the majesty of God. How high He is, how much over us He is, how much different He is than us. Last week we mentioned His aseity. You remember we told you that big word that you'd be able to tell everyone that He exists by His own power. And how mind-blowing that is. We know nothing about anything like that at all. Nothing. And he hold, me and James were talking about this this morning. He holds everything together. He's actively holding everything together. The wood. We were talking about the wood. This building. He's holding all these things together by the words of his mouth. But if you're willing and able, let's stand and read this again, this passage. We'll read 9 and 10 together. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight or understanding. Let's pray. God, you're so you're so much bigger than us. And Lord, here I am, made from dirt, trying to explain you. I don't know the words, Lord. You have to give me your spirit. Fill us all with your spirit that we may be able to see you this morning. Without you, there's no way we can even see you. We can't perceive you. You're on another level than us. God, be with my mouth this morning. Be with our spirit. Open our hearts to, to understand the majesty of you, your holiness, the character of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Like we said last week, we, we kind of focused on the first part of this passage, the fear of the Lord. Why should we fear Him? Why should we have reverence towards Him? And we even have been doing that the last couple of weeks during prayer time. We take a moment to sit and think and process who we're approaching in prayer. Yes, He's our Father, but He's our Father if that makes any sense. He is our God, but Jesus has brought access to Him. But today we're going to focus on the second part of this. The first part, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the, and the knowledge of the Holy One. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, is insight. The biggest problem we have as humans, this is our biggest problem, is that God is holy, 
God is holy and we are not. That is the biggest problem we have to deal with in our existence. Is that he is a holy God and we are not holy whatsoever. We are not him. How we understand the character of God the Father affects all of our life. Every aspect of our life. Not just the religious part of our life. How we understand the character of God affects every part of us. It's not just that religious part. Not just the Sunday morning. Not just when I'm opening my Bible. Not just when I'm in the mood to pray. Not when, just when I'm feeling like I need to witness. It affects every aspect of our life. How we understand Him. How we perceive Him. How we approach God the Father. He is the, he is the self-existent one who has always been he has never ever not existed he has always existed and always been perfectly content with that but yet he it didn't occur to him to create everything he just did i told one of the guys this past week has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to god that'll put you in your place real fast we have to occur things all the time, but nothing occurs to God. He is the creator of all that is. He speaks things into existence from nothing, but from His essence, He speaks them into the nothingness and creates something with purpose and with intent. It's not just He makes things just to be making them. He makes them with a very intent purpose for worshiping Him because He is the most worthy of being worshipped. There is nothing higher than Him. There is nothing more good than Him. There's nothing higher, greater, bigger than this God that we worship here on Sunday morning and during the week and every moment of our life. We could come in here just like any other Sunday and say, yeah, it's time to sing songs. It's time for a sermon and go through the motions. But listen, what we're getting into today, we're going to see that this God is not someone to take lightly. And this Christmas season, you're going to see next week the impact of what has happened for us. If God is, the, is, is a God that speaks things into nothingness and creates something with purpose and intent, then He is the sovereign Lord over everything we can see and cannot see, irregardless of what we think we know about Him. If he's the one that speaks things and he's that powerful and he makes things out of nothing, he is the sovereign Lord over it. Whether we think, I don't care, I don't want to follow you. What does that matter? It doesn't matter. He is still the Lord. He is still sovereign over that. It, you can rebel if you want. It does no good. It doesn't change his position whatsoever. There is nothing, nothing outside of his lordship. And I want to add this because I think we've said it wrong, wrongly for so many years. You cannot make Him the Lord of your life. We've used, we, we come up with these phrases because we can't comprehend God in the first place, but we try to come up with phrases. You cannot make Him the Lord of your life because He already is the Lord of your life. Whether you love Him or whether you hate Him or whether you are indifferent to Him, He is the Lord of your life whether you like it or not. And one day... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. No matter how you thought on this earth, He is that high above us. Everything we see exists because He wills it to be so. None of us come close to that. He just wills it to be so. He wills it to maintain. He does it by His own power. That is power. We think we have some power because we may be over something at maybe work or, or that, and we get real built up and puffed up about that like, yeah, we're doing something. Can you speak things into existence? Go read what, what God told Job in that book. He says, listen, basically, put your seatbelt on, son. I'm about to tell you some things. 
Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Where were you? Tell me if you have knowledge. That's what he tells them. Go ahead, tell me. If you think you're such a, a man that can demand answers from me. Where were you when I created and laid the foundation of the world? When all the stars of the sky were thrown out in their, into their place, and they're pla- placed there on purpose. When, when the belt of Orion was placed there, where were you? Were you there to give me counsel then? No, none of us were. And it even says in other parts of the New Testament, Paul says that our salvation is based and it was founded before the foundation of the world. We were saved before the foundation of the world. Where were you? This is power. This is God. He knew you before He made everything. I don't care... We read this passage, I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care if you've been saved for 50 years or if you've been saved for five minutes, five hours. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. If we forget or slide from what this particular scripture is telling us, we lose sight of everything. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding if we lose sight of that and we think, and we get tripped up on the word beginning, and we say, well, beginning, I'm past the beginning. I've moved on. I've, I've, went, past, I've went to the next steps. I'm at step 10, 7, I mean, or whatever. Just count them. Go, go, to, go to 100. I'm at all these different steps. I've moved past that. This, it says beginning. If you get tripped up on this word beginning, you've lost sight of everything. It, we don't move past it. We move deeper into it. Like I, said, like I said last week in last week's sermon, because God is doing something at Heritage and He desires to do greater things here. Not necessarily different things. It doesn't have to be different things. But a deepening and a furthering of what God is already doing here. I want to make sure that we know how to swim before we go surfing. Like I said last week, I want to make sure we know how to swim. We don't want to go out there and learn how to surf and do all this stuff and only get out in the shallow water. We need to know how to swim if God's going to take us further out there and do the, the awesome thing. The things that He has prepared for us before the foundation of the world. To walk in, these works to walk in. Since God is and He is holy, we cannot avoid that, that fact. We cannot avoid that He is holy. Holiness defines our goal as Christians because the Lord has declared in Leviticus eleven forty four through 45, Be holy, because I am holy. So this is something about God. This is the goal of the Christian life is holiness, because God is holy. That is what we are to move towards. And if we are to reach this goal, we must begin to understand what holiness is. We have to. Holy is to be purely set apart or separate just just separate purely set apart or separate when we begin to see god for who he is when i've been studying this over the last two weeks the more i sit there and i look at god i'm and remember last week i said a lot of the times we we take our faith and we make it all about jesus yes we are to worship jesus we are to be christocentric Jesus is the center of the universe. But when we neglect to learn the character of God, we miss so much. But the, the longer over the last two weeks I've looked at God, it just floors you. It puts you on your face. You cannot, you cannot be in any other position when you look at God's glory and who He is. But when we begin to see God for who He is, when we see His glory... We begin to see ourselves rightly because we all tend to think of ourselves more highly or further along than we tend to be in, in reality. When you sit there and you look at God and He is such other than us, what does it matter if you've done a little bit more than someone else? It, it puts everybody on the level playing field. We are not on His level at all. We're not even close to being on that level. It's, it's totally other. It's not like you could even reach it. He's not even on the scale. 
You're like, well, I'm a little higher up on the scale to get to God. I'm a little bit higher. He's not on that scale. You keep climbing. You're not going to read. He's on a different plane. He's on a different plane. But I will repeat it again because it's so very important. Write this down. When we begin to see God for who He is, His character, when we begin to see His glory, then we begin to see ourselves rightly. I want to take us to a couple of places. We mentioned them briefly last week, but I want to kind of walk through them a little bit. Exodus chapter 3, if you want to turn there, I think it would help to see this. I'm just going to read. This is the Word of God, and I'm a man, and I'm trying to describe this, and it's just, we need to read it. Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. I want you guys to put yourself in this position. You know, we've heard these stories so many times. We've heard, it's not even a story. This, is, this, this really happened. He's walking towards this mountain, and he sees this bush out of the corner of his eye, and it's burning. It's on fire. What is your first thought when you see that? I don't know what I would do. I'd be like, I just don't know. But it says, Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why this bush is not burned. It's burning, but it's not burned. It's not consumed. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. It's almost like, oh, hey, he's coming. He doesn't know who he's coming to. He doesn't know me like that yet. He will know me, but he doesn't. I got to stop him before he dies. He doesn't realize. He calls to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is an awesome God. This is the same God we described last week that was completely content in, his, in the community of, Trini of the Trinity. Had no need of anything to be created, but yet he decides... If you can even say decides, he just expresses himself and says, let there be. And things, the universe happens. The universe happens. And everything that builds it and holds it up and, and it's consisted of everything just happens from his word. This God is the one in this bush. I don't know if Moses has realized this yet. But he tells them, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And you see, we forget that so many times and we rush into his presence. Because, yeah, he's dad. But he's also the same God. So how do you, like we said last, how do you put these two together? And he goes, he proceeds to tell him, hey, I've heard the cry of your people I've heard the cry of them and I'm going to help them and you're the one that I'm going to send to go do so but in verse 11 it says but Moses said to God who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt he said but I will be with you and this will be a sign for you and I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain 
Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, like we said last week, and don't get past it. Just because you heard it last week, please don't get past it. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Who else can say that? I, I exist. I just, I am. And he says, tell them that I am has sent you. Now you go back to the, the first part of that. He says, take off your sandal, take the sandals off of your feet for the place on which you're standing is holding. Why does he tell Moses to take the sandals off of his feet? I mean, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? What does that matter? Because the ground is holy, he was standing in the presence of God. Where the presence of God is, there is holiness. There is holiness. It is a difference. It is set apart. It is different from everywhere else he could have been walking at that time. But he was in the presence of God. So he had to take his sandals off. And we'll get to that a little little further. Where the presence of God is, there is holiness. Because God is holy. He, He is holy. I want to put it into a parenthesis here. If God's presence is in your life, if Holy Spirit is living inside of you, now that should just blow your mind anyway, that the, the self-existent God is residing inside of your flesh in the Holy Spirit. If God's presence is in your life, if Holy Spirit is living inside of you, there should be a growing holiness in your life because He's progressively taking more and more of you he's consuming more and more of you more territory here more territory there i'm 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 taking over this life there should be a growing holiness in your life because he is consuming who you used to be he's consuming that old that old person he's consuming it he's getting rid of it and he's progressively making you more into the image of his son jesus christ the second person of this trinity of this triune God who has self-existed forever. And that doesn't even really describe it as if there were time, uh, that time he was bound by time by any kind of means. But if you have God, if you say that you are a Christian and you say that God, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, you should have a growing holiness because in Hebrews 12, 14, the writer, the author there says, there is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Unless you are holy, you cannot see God. You cannot see Him. There is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But why did He take His sandals off? It also did this to Moses. It put Moses in His rightful place. It put Him in contact with the dirt from which He was made. It put Him in right standing. You are made of this dirt. Your feet will touch this dirt in contact from the dirt from which it was made. God is not of this earth. It was to show Moses, I am other than you. When you come into my presence, things will change for you. You you will change. But Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. We live in a culture where we don't understand this kind of fear. We don't, we don't get that. We, we live in a country where you can say whatever, you're free to say whatever you want about the president, about anyone that's in leadership, anyone who rules. You even have that lady you've seen in the news where the, the president's going by and you're free to flip him off. Imagine doing that. You, you, you can't imagine doing that to God. Once Moses realized who it was, he was afraid to look at him. He's like, oh yeah, I'm coming. I'm in his presence. I'm in his, I'm in, uh, I can't look at him. He's obviously way higher than me. I can't, I can't look at him. In, in chapter 32, Moses went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And the people, while he was gone, they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait for him. They made a golden calf in their own of their own golden treasure, and Aaron called it Yahweh. 
He called it Yahweh. He said that this golden calf that we've made out of our own thing, out of our own treasure, he is this God who has said it's self-existent. But let's go to chapter 33 here. Starting in verse 12. Before that, you had all that happening. God's anger was kindled against these people because they made a calf out of gold. Do they not realize that he made the gold? He, he's holding the gold together. He's holding, and they made a calf. And they said, this is, I am. And it said that there was a, there was a tent that Moses would go in and out of. And Moses would talk to God as if he were talking to a friend. God would just talk to him back and forth. But then you come to verse 12 here. We'll read through 23. It says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. So see, Moses is still worried about I need somebody to help me. You know, these people are just really stiff-necked. Somebody needs to come alongside me. He doesn't grasp yet who he's talking to. He, he's been talking to him, but it just hasn't really took root in, in, in his heart who he's been speaking with. Yes, he's seen him. He knows that he is I am. He's told him that he is I am. He said, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, this is what God said to him, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, and from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, and you, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. This God, who has made everything, knows you by name. That's that's humbling that's sobering and Moses said to him please show me your glory show me your glory and he said I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name of the Lord Yahweh and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy but he said you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Listen, I want you to imagine this. There is a being out there that we, if we were to look at him right now in this body, we would die. This is, this is the God that we worship. This should make you tremble, but yet he's our father. And we can go before him because of Christ, because we are in Christ. But there is a being that if we, I told some guys this morning, I said, if we walk through that door right there and imagine you saw God the Father, you saw him, you could, if you saw him right now, you would walk through that door and just, you would drop dead unless it was the grace of God keeping you alive like he, you see him do with some people through, in, in particular places in Scripture, which we'll go to next. If he came down to us today in all of his fullness and showed his face to us, we all die. This is holiness. This is power. This is the God we worship. And it, this is what I think. I, you've, got to, you've got to put it in your heart, put it in your mind that God is so other than us. He's not like us. We so easily, we want to picture God as being a bigger version of us, like a greater version of us like a perfect version of us, and He's not. He's something totally other than us. He is God. He's God. He's not a bigger, more perfect human being. He's God. He's totally different, totally different. And everyone, every time someone sees Him, they fall on their face before Him. 
Who are we to take glory, any glory for anything? It is impossible for us to see God in his pure essence, in these bodies, in this life. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. None of us in this world are pure in heart. But the more pure he makes us, the more of him we will see. You, any of you that have walked with Jesus at any amount of time, you see that. The more you walk with him, the more pure he makes us. He makes us, not the more pure we become. The more pure he makes us, the more of him he reveals. The more pieces of him you begin to see. The more pieces that you begin to see that blow you away. That you're just like, he is just some, he's something other than me. Uh, he needs to be worshipped. I'm talking about holiness, holiness. When you look at your life, do you hate your sin? When you see your sin, do you hate it? What does your relationship to sin look like? I had a pastor friend say this some years ago. It's been probably more than 10 years ago. And the statement is true. Only dead men see God. Only dead men see God. We will not see God until this physical body dies, and we will not see God until we die to ourselves daily. If we crave to see God, we, ha- we must die. To be in the presence of God means all flesh is gone. You're, you're dead unless God keeps you alive by His grace. So what does that look like to die to yourself daily? Just to give you, it looks like killing sin and looking to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Looking, just looking at Him. You read this and you just get blown away by who He is. Just look at Him and pray to Him and realize who you're talking to, who we get to talk to. It's not just a frivolous, yeah, I can talk to Him, that's Dad. He's Dad, but He's God. But every once in a while, God will give a glimpse of his glory to men. In Isaiah 6, we want to park there for a second. So hit, go to um, Isaiah 6. says in the year that king uzziah died this is isaiah the prophet for the people of the day and the king in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple i think it's interesting that it mentions that the year that king uzziah died now king uzziah you you know in the past all throughout israel's uh, existence they wanted, a, they wanted a king. And whenever they had a really good king, that, they had really good times. And when they had a really bad king, things were pretty miserable for them. But King Uzziah, he reigned for 52 years. He reigned for 52 years, and he was such a great military leader that for 52 years Israel was safe. But it mentions here, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. I think that's significant. He died. Imagine the heartache those people had, the confusion of the people. Well, what happens now? What will become of us? This good king is finally, he kept us safe and now he's gone. But the prophet of God goes alone with God. And it says, in that year, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips. 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But imagine that heartache of that king dying and that he sees God sitting on that throne. It doesn't really matter who sits on earthly thrones. You know, when you see God sitting on a throne, you realize and it's settled in your heart that God is in control, that he is sitting on a throne. He is high and lifted up. When you see that and that really takes, takes root in your heart, it doesn't matter who's sitting on earthly thrones. It says in Daniel 2.21, he says, I raise them up and I take them down, basically is what God says. I'm the one who gives you kings and who takes them down. For crying out loud, he even put an eight-year-old in the throne. King Josiah took over a throne at eight years old. It doesn't matter who's on the throne of these little velvet seats. It says, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I want you to get the significance of this. It said, the train of his robe filled the whole temple. The length of a king's train was the symbol of how victorious a king is. How victorious he is. Every time a king would conquer another kingdom, they would add length to his train. Every time they would conquer another nation, another people, they would add length to it. The train of God's robe fills the temple. I want you to imagine being in Isaiah's place here. It says, Above him stood the seraphim, and they had six wings. Okay, now if we saw an angel, if an angel walked through this door today, we would be terrified. You saw that the seraphim means, or possibly means, I think it's um, the burning ones. You saw an angel walk through this door. What would you do? You would be, we'd all be terrified. We'd be like, I'm going to move this way, slowly this way. But look at what these, look what these angels did. It said, above them stood the, uh, the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. The, even the angels cover their face. If we saw these angels, we would be on our faces. And so many times you see another scripture when they see an angel, they want to worship the angel. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm, you know, I'm just the messenger. But they covered their face. And with two, they covered their feet. So even their feet, even these angels, even these high angels that are sitting at the throne of God are covering themselves from the holiness of God. And one called to another and said, and they didn't just say, holy. They didn't just say holy, holy. They said it three, they say it three times, and that is significant, especially in these times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. When you when anything is mentioned three times in the scripture like that, especially in the Old Testament, it means, hey, this is it. Pay attention to this. This means business. He is not just holy. He is the, uh, the epitome of what holiness is. He is holy. It is the strongest emphasis that can even be given. He is so separate from us. Even the highest angels have their faces and their feet covered. But yet, you hear people say, whenever I die, I, wanna, I, got, I got some questions for God. I got some qu- I'm going to ask Him some things. You know, like you're going to rush up in his presence and tell these angels to move out of the way. I know you're covered up, but I got some things I want to ask him. How arrogant are we? Know who we're speaking to. He's dad. No doubt he's dad. You ever get that feeling whenever you're in trouble? And if you had a good dad, and I'm saying, and you're in trouble, and you know you had to go in the house, that 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 feeling in your gut, you know, dad loves you. You know he's your dad. You can't change that, but you get there, and you're like, oh gosh. Imagine that infinitely worse. When Isaiah stands before God, he sees him. He sees God knowing what he's like. 
In verse 4 it says, The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Put yourself in that position. I want you to imagine being Isaiah, and you're sitting there, and you see him high and lifted up, and the train fills the temple. And it says the thresholds of the temple are shaking at the voice of the one who's calling out. Shaking. Imagine being there in that presence and it, then, it, then the whole place just begins to fill with smoke. Let's say that happened here today. What would you be thinking? I mean, what would you do? If God decided to just walk through here and he sits down on a throne and there, the whole place just shakes, like it just rumbles. And it gets like harder and harder to shakes, and the whole place just starts filling with smoke because of his holiness and just because of the power. You just feel the, the sheer power of being in there. What would that be like? Sometimes, so many times, we take coming before the Lord so lightly, so frivolously coming before the Lord. Do you realize who we get to speak to? We get to speak to this creator God who has become our father. We get to speak to him. We get to speak to him. It's not, oh, we have to speak to him. We get, we get an audience with the creator of the universe. We get an audience and he's our dad. But we are a sinful people. Look what, what, look what Isaiah said in verse in verse 5. The first thing that Isaiah sees when he sees God high and lifted up, sitting on his throne, he sees his glory. What does Isaiah say? He says, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips. He's like, I'm, I'm dead. That feeling I just mentioned about your dad, and you know that you've done wrong. He's like, Oh, woe is, woe is me. I, I am damned. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. He could kill me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What does that, what does that mean? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He knows that he is full of sin. Everything that comes out of his life, out of his mouth, is just, it's, not, it's not holy. Like I said at the very beginning, our biggest problem is that God is holy and we are not. And he's sitting before God in his throne. He's standing before him. He's like, oh. He's like, I'm so, he's going to kill me. He could kill me. He automatically knows his place before God. That he is this powerful. He says, I am, I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Our whole people are unholy. They are nothing like you. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we see God as holy, 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 when we see the glory of God, we see ourselves rightly then. When we come before Him in prayer, we need to imagine this, that, that He is that way. He is holy. That is who He is. When God reveals Himself to us, the first thing we realize is our sinfulness. I am dead, sinful. I'm unworthy. But in Christ, He has made access. We get to talk to Him. Just like Moses did, talking to a friend and Moses, the more he talks to him as he's talking to a friend, he's like, I can't get enough of him. He's like, just please show me your way. Show me more of yourself. Show me more of your glory. Show, show yourself to me. I need to see more of you. As we're coming to a close, I want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. But this gives a, somewhat of a description for us as people of God, as, as the church. You know, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he wants to give him a charge. 
In 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 16, he says, I charge you in the presence of God. And I'm sure Paul doesn't just say that frivolously. He says, I charge you. God is here with us. He is, this God is with us. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ. Who, is the testim- who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made, a good, made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that Paul has taught him, he wants him to keep it unstained and free from repro- reproach until Jesus comes back face to face, which he, d- he will display at the proper time. He who is, he who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who dwells, he lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and glory, or honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Since God has this kind of magnitude to His being, to His intense holiness, and His holiness has an effect on my, on my life, on your life, God is love. He is holy, holy, holy. But God is love. If God in all of His majesty and all of His awesome terror is love in just the same way, in the same magnitude. How intense is His love that is directed towards us if His holiness is that intense? Because that is His character. He is holy. What holy is, that is God. He is holy. And it also says that His character is love. If the intensity of His holiness is the same as the intensity of His love and vice versa, this holy God has this intense love directed towards those who believe. How intense is that love? This holy God loves me. He loves Matt. This God who spoke things into existence, that were, there was nothing there, nothing, who has that kind of intense holiness, because it's who He is, He cannot deny it. He is love too, and that love is just as intense, because it is who He is. He loves Matt, this screw-up, this guy that can't do anything right. He's never lived a perfect moment in his life. But yet he has all this holiness, but he directs that love towards his people. He directs that kind of love towards those who are repenting and believing, who have seen him who he is, for who he is, who have fallen on their face and like, I am not worthy. I'm a man of unclean lips. That love is directed toward him. This God has directed his affection towards me. Listen, this is Christmas. Don't miss Christmas for Christmas. This God in all of His majesty and all of His holiness knows how unholy we are. Decides, if you can say decides, intends to come down here to rescue us. He's totally other than us. And the fact that grace and love of that magnitude is directed towards us who are repenting and believing is mind-blowing. Why? Why would He even bother? His love is that intense. Just as intense as His holiness. The only reason, I want you to write this down if you're still writing notes. The only reason you exist, the only reason that I exist is for Him. The only reason He made us is for Him and Him alone, for us to see His glory. 
not for us to go do what we want to do, for us to go find this job and go do this and be, and be consumed with other, other pursuits. There's no other pursuit than to find God and to go after Him and to know His holiness and to know that love, the intensity of this God, the magnitude of this God. This God came to rescue His people. And I want to end with this. I want to read this because it's going to lead into next week. You don't have to turn there, but I can, I, I can read it. Or Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and we're done. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, yeah. And I know you've heard this so many times. Don't let it be. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other just because you've heard it. Please listen to it. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This holy God sends his son, is given, given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is what he has done. He sent his son. Let's, let's pray. Before we get started, I want to ask, has His peace conquered your life? This holy God, who's intense, there's, I just don't know if there's another word, intense holiness and intense love, has His peace conquered in your life? Do you see your sin in the light of His holiness? When you are in His presence, do you are you humbled? Jesus came to this earth to reconcile us to the Father. That we could be this holy and majestic God's children. If you need if you if you need God, if you need Jesus, if you need Christ, come talk to us, please. God, you're so huge. Lord, we're thankful for everything you've given us in Christ. That we're even, even able to speak to you. We get to speak to you. God, change our lives. Help us to see you correctly. Help us to see ourselves in the right frame. But help this to draw our love towards you even greater. The fact that you are this high and lifted up and you love us. Let it drive us towards you. What a love. What grace. Speak to us and show us your glory. Show us your presence this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.